welcome to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. My name's Selena Godden and you're tuned in to the June episode, the seventh episode of Roaring Twenties Radio. This episode we're going to be focusing on Own It, on Own It, a storytelling lifestyle brand because stories are life. Coming up, Own It are going to be launching a week-long online arts festival between the 8th and the 14th of June. It will feature live readings, discussions, conversation sessions and workshops from authors and artists that they publish and represent. And we're going to be showing you and sharing with you some of the highlights of the festival that's coming up. I'm here socially distancing in my home, making the radio show from home with my dear friends, Amma Rose Abrams. Hi, everybody. And my other friend, Matt Abbott. Hello. We're here socially distancing. We're in lockdown. How's everybody doing? I'm all right. It's been obviously a little bit strange, um, but it feels very good to slowly but surely be coming out of it. Yeah, little baby steps. It's a weird, isn't it, to think of this as being a baby step, but we're getting there. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's been a very strange time um, and I hope that everyone out there that's listening is all right um, and that you're all taking care of yourselves. Um, how's everyone coping with everything that's going on? I mean, literally the world is on fire. I've been finding it a little bit intense, being very torn between really immersing myself in what's going on, you know, listening, keeping up with the news, watching the protest tests, trying to you know, be informed and in touch with the mood and feeling like actually I can't really deal with seeing so many images of violence and negative commentary about what happens to black people as a black person. So I'm torn between looking off, kind of stepping back into my lockdown, baking and guitar playing and writing (laughs) and actually going and really doing my job I guess it is part of and you know and my social my social conscience of really taking in what's happening how about you how are you feeling about it all um it's it has been really difficult I found the last few days in particular uh really tough on social media um because obviously what's happening but also people's different responses to it um and sometimes you feel powerless and sometimes you feel like you have to get up and do something about it i think that music and art are even more important than ever uh, in terms of um helping out with mental well-being and sort of reconnecting with your soul um, but yeah it has been a really scary time yeah harrowing absolutely harrowing i kind of feel like i'm on a seesaw i have really bad days um negative days dark days and then i have these days where of productivity and almost mania creativity like trying to write about it trying to document it narrate it trying to get this into get this moment down so the truth is told um we're going to share some links and ways to help um later on in the show but before we talk anymore that's enough talk let's have some music i'm really feeling music at the moment it's i'm playing music more than ever and this track definitely sums up how i'm feeling right now yet our best trained best educated best equipped best prepared troops refuse to fight Matter of fact, it's safe to say that they would rather switch than fight.
Okay, talk to me about the future of Public Enemy. Future of Public Enemy got a 
I was run over by the truth one day. Ever since the pandemic, I've talked this way. So inject my veins with bleach, coat my eyes with banana bread, and tell me lies about coronavirus. I see a world of anguish, I see a world of pain. I'm too sad to sleep, so I'll retweet it all again. So stuff my pyjama pockets with grieving, fill my hands with clapping, inject my veins with bleach, coat my eyes with banana bread, and tell me lies about coronavirus. Every time I shut my eyes, all I see are masks and gloves. I can hear the nightingale sing for all our loves. So cram my room with toilet rolls, stuff my pyjama pockets with grieving, fill my hands with clapping, inject my veins with bleach, coat my eyes with banana bread and tell me lies about coronavirus. I smell something burning. I hope it's just my sourdough. They're pushing kids back to school. Now watch the terror grow. So tear gas the mourners. Cram my room with toilet roll. Stuff my pyjama pockets with grieving. Fill my hands with clapping. Inject my veins with bleach. Coat my eyes with banana bread. And tell me lies about coronavirus. Where were you during the Covid rain? I hunkered in my bunker with my veg box and champagne. So chain my tongue with broadband, tear gas the mourners, cram my room with toilet rolls, stuff my pyjama pockets with grieving, fill my hands with clapping, inject my veins with bleach, coat my eyes with banana bread and tell me lies about coronavirus. You put your nurses in, you put your conscience out. You take the human being and you twist it all about. So scrub my skin with sanitizers, chain my tongue with broadband, tear gas the mourners, cram the room with toilet rolls, stuff my pyjama pockets with grieving, fill my hands with clapping, inject my veins with bleach, coat my eyes with banana bread and tell me lies about coronavirus. Tell me lies about coronavirus. Tell me lies about coronavirus. And tell me lies about coronavirus. Magic a bitch styling, boob like magic excellence, poof you need reminding Any round and losing shum, um I will she back again You will never end the rain, we keep multiplying Running through the evidence, they just no denying Some be by my deficient, it just keep on shining Who that lady got some lip, from my mama got the gift We just bought some peace in it, at least we keep on trying ah. Hold on my youth, hold on my youth I told you I
told in a dream I was conscious. No, I was not woke. I was light in a concert. And I spread my voice. I was choked and belittled. Then I resurrected part two as the sequel. No, I'm not your voice. I just wanna be equal. Gotta stand tall. We the ones. We the people. Look me in the eyes. This the cards you've been dealt. I don't need your table. I can sit by myself. Poof. Let's take it back again, back, back to Africa Matriarchy is a fake, black women per capita I, I, Capitan, you remain my queen I saw it in my mother when I saw it in a dream Holy Spirit, how is she, you disrespect the womb Where life all come from and it is to whom Your graces too, or your races too Did you she like it, I shop out and kudos to you You're listening to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. This is our socially distant show here at home with Amarose and Matt Abbott. Um, you've just listened to Fight the Power, Public Enemy, and then a new poem by me, which was made out of a bunch of tweets called Tell Me Lies About Coronavirus, with a salute to the great poet Adrian Mitchell. We followed that with Sampa the Great, Black Girl Magic. Now we're at the part of the show where we turn to Matt and Matt will tell us all of the highlights of things that are going on in lockdown for poets and poetry and things like that, and spoken word and books and things. Go Matt, go. Cool, thank you very much. Um, I've got a nice big list here. So the BBC recently commissioned 40 poets around England as part of their Make a Difference campaign and they were all celebrating the individual acts of heroism in their local communities. So talking about the small acts of kindness and stuff like that. Poets including uh, Levi Tafari, Sia Katebi, Maria Ferguson and loads of others. Um, I think that was really nice and it was on the BBC, the localised TV station, channels and radio stations. So it's getting poetry out there to people who might not listen to poetry. That's fantastic. It's a nice way. Lockdown poetry is like a new uh, sub-genre, isn't it? Have you seen that Insta poetry gets loads of stick, doesn't it, nowadays? And like lockdown poetry is like a new sub-genre, gets even more stick. Really? So Do you think like that it. stick's deserved or are you gunning for them? Uh, no, I don't think it is deserved. I mean, obviously some Insta poetry is really bad and some lockdown poetry is really bad, but that's no reason to... I think the fact that it's for snobby establishment having a go at it just makes me want to defend it. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, same, same. Yeah. If you're not writing down and narrating the horrors that are going on, what on earth are you writing about? 
Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that the BBC have commissioned 40 poets from all around England, I think is a really nice way to frame it. Um, a woman called Hannah Ledley, she has a spoken word playlist on Sabotage Reviews. So every week she just tweets a different video and writes a little article about why she loves the poem, which I think is a nice thing. On Thursday the 11th of June, Rhymes with Orange are doing their 8th birthday show. That's decent, that, isn't it? Rhymes with Orange is a really good spoken word night. Um, they're doing their 8th birthday show. Um, Nims and Fugs, my label, we're doing our Insta sessions every week. So on the 9th of June, I've got Emily Harrison doing a, a session for us. And on the 16th, Camille Mahmoud. We have a different poet every week, which is buzzing. Um, the BBC's Words First programme has just launched. That's for poets and artists who are aged 18 to 30, the young swines. Um, it's in partnership with Young ID in Manchester, Noiriki in Scotland, and One Extra, BBC Asian Network, and contains strong language. That's really cool. Have you heard of that BBC Words First? No. Actually, no, no, I have, but I haven't picked up on it recently, but it's ringing a bell for me. It's a really good like artist development programme and there's like mentoring and, and gigs and, and content and stuff like that. Uh, Apples and Snakes are helping to promote it as well, so that's a great opportunity. Um, also for young people, uh, Teresa Lola, she's currently the Young People's Laureate for London. She's launched a campaign called Say Your Peace, and peace is P-E-A-C-E. Uh, that's just a, basically a space for young people to use poetry to find peace and solace so they can upload their poems, meet like-minded writers, get a bit of feedback, get a platform. Because apparently 80% of children who have suffered with mental well-being um, are in a worse situation now because of coronavirus. Like It's really impacting on children's mental well-being. So this um, Say Your Peace campaign is just to give them a space to use poetry to express themselves. Oh, I love that. That's yeah, brilliant. It's That's nice, really isn't it? cool. Yeah. You can find that on the Spread the Word website. So they share poems that people have submitted and then Teresa Lull has written one herself as well. So that's through Spread the Word who do loads of great things. Excellent. Yeah. Um, Kevin P. Gildane, the Glasgow Cross, they've just released a brand new album called Pure Concrete. Some beautiful merch out there. You can get it on white vinyl, you can get a tote bag and a CD, and you can also get some nice little postcards as well if you want to support them. Uh, Kevin P. Gildane, the Glasgow Cross. Kevin's great, isn't he? Yeah, he's amazing. Lovely. It's a really great album as well. Um, Travis Alabanza, they are a poet and theatre maker and writer who've just shared a, sto a short story called... Uh, uh, called Binary. It's part of the Anthems podcast, uh, which is part of Pride Month. It's about um, growing up as a black queer person on a council estate in Bristol and talking about uh, maths and uh, binary and figuring yourself out. Um, Travis Salabanza, they are an amazing artist. Uh, they're a trans feminine, gender neutral artist who um, speak about some really amazing issues. Um, Bad Betty Press, their latest release is by Anya Koenig. Uh, it's the, Anya's debut collection called Animal, uh, Animal Experiments, uh, and it's been launched on Zoom on the 25th of June. Um, Roger Robinson's got a great new show on the BBC iPlayer called Finding Paradise in Poetry, which is about personal poetry and political poetry. Because like you were saying, Selena, like it's not all about the angry political stuff, is it? Sometimes it's nice to look at the personal stuff and the more the, the gentler stuff and anybody who knows Roger Robinson knows that that's worth listening to um, and then I just wanted to plug two little competitions there's a competition in Barnsley called Hear My Voice that's open to all ages and also another one called Project Hope both of which you can find on my website because there's uh, links about entries and stuff in there um, so yeah loads of stuff going on loads of gigs loads of podcasts loads of videos um, it's actually done the spoken word community quite a lot of good this 
every cloud and all that. Yeah, yeah. you've got to, yeah. I mean, it has been incredible. The, 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 I mean, Luke Wright is now on his 77th gig. Yeah. I mean, hats off to Luke. Let's give him a round of applause. I mean, it's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, um, so just a couple of gigs that I want to mention. Obviously, we're going to be talking more about the Ownit Festival. Uh, my specific contributions are on June the 9th. I'm doing a poetry double bill with Sophia Thakur. Um, we'll be hearing from her soon. Um, and we're doing a poetry double bill. That's going to be on Insta Live at 8pm on June the 9th. And then on June the 12th, as part of the Ownit Online Festival, I am been going to do an exclusive reading from my debut novel Mrs Death Mrs Death this will be the first time mm. I've ever read from the book and I'm going to come online and do it on Instagram on Insta Live at 9pm on June the 12th and then the last little gig I want to plug is June the 14th York Festival of Ideas Between Worlds and webinar I'm going to be in conversation with Anna Phoebe those of you who've been following um, us you'll know that we've just started to work together but working together uh, um, separately like through the internet and uh, sending each other files and poems and music and making work so that that's going to be a lovely thing that's coming up at the York Festival of Ideas on June the 14th now this is Roaring Twenties Radio it's the own it's special so let's hear something from the festival one of the festival highlights and I think I would like to kick off by sharing something from Courtier Newland Courtier Newland is a great friend of mine um, we've known each other for a long time I think I've read all his books his latest book is fantastic but that's less about me let's have Courtier telling you about his book himself here's Courtier Hey everybody, uh, hope you're doing okay, coping with lockdown, hope you're managing to exercise, it's a beautiful day today, so I hope you can get some sun, you know, stay off the streets when you can, and uh, please avoid others when you're out, you know, it's very difficult for us to be indoors for this length of time, but I think it's important when we're out, because we need to get out, to just try to avoid others, so I hope you guys are managing to do that, and your families are safe and well. Um, I'm going to read A River Called Time, which is my new novel. Uh, it's published January 7th, 2021. Available for pre-order at Amazons and Waterstones and all the good indies near you. Uh, the book is set in an alternative parallel world where slavery never happened. And African cosmology is the dominant religion. Uh, London is called Dinium. And due to climate change, there is difficult to breathe and people wear face masks. Uh, a huge building called the Ark has been constructed in what we know as inner city. And it's been constructed to house the rich while the poor people live outside. Apart from those who serve the rich in some way. So that can be big or small. Uh, my protagonist is a journalist, so he works for the media. And in that way, he serves the rich. But people can, you know, they can be... Uh, uh, nursery nurses they can be cleaners they can be engineers you know they can they usually work for the rich in uh, many different ways and i'm going to read a chapter where the main character marcus experiences what it's like to actually live in the ark oh and before i go on my name is courtier Newland. yeah and this is my novel a river called time the alarm gave marcus a jolt he blamed on his body clock at first until he recognised the beeping. He disengaged the covering, hit stop, knocking the lightweight melatonin bottle over in the same movement, yawning as he wiped his eyes, 
stepping from the sleeper before he had time to think. The tarred floor against his feet accelerated his waking state. He made for the bathroom without slippers, relishing cold. Marcus passed the living room window, fully aware of turning his head, unable to look, feeling only partial shame. He ignored the manual switch that controlled his ceiling lights, normally set to his favoured cloud and blue sky simulation, entering the bathroom and turning the, turning the dial on his power shower, anticipating nothing until he walked into the cubicle with a sigh, cold water touching his skin. Soon he stood beneath a fierce cascade that slowed to a feeble trickle after exactly eight minutes. He got out and, on a whim, shaved his chin bare. He found a large towel and dried himself, wrapping it around his waist while he moved towards the kitchen. His cereal bowl was full when he wandered into the living room. The room was consumed by lack of light, empty enough to cross without banging a limb against any furniture. A sofa, an easy chair, a small coffee table, a BS and music centre embedded in a far wall. The flat was featureless, apart from those few items. There was next to no sign anyone lived there at all. He crossed the expansive living room floor, hearing dogs bark on streets below. Rustles and the clatter of materials nosed and tugged, scavenging, no doubt. Further away, a high-pitched sound of a car alarm echoed, faint as the drip of a tap, equally relentless. He listened, hoping the sounds would cease. When they did not, he shook his head. Marcus approached the window, pushing a button. Nothing. Cursing, he pulled at the curtains until they came apart in angry jerks, revealing more tiles, a ledge. Of course, the mainline power was cut. He'd forgotten for a moment. No oral connection or peripherals, backup generators only powering housing essentials. Connection was considered a luxury in his zone. He leant forward, raising himself to take a first look outside. The riot had only lasted a night, but the damage was extensive. Block after block of mayhem lay beneath him. The apartment allocation was on the 15th floor, giving an unobstructed view, unobstructed view of the surrounding area. His adopted town was demon ugly. Smoke rose from numerous places. Cars and trucks flipped upside down like bugs left to die on their backs. Shop windows were smashed while in others, fitful lights were flashing strobes beneath passing clouds of smoke. He tried to convince himself that they gave the town a magical glow. It looked more like the end of the world. Last night there had been a football game, the winning supporters deciding to have an impromptu party on Prospect Road. First the people gathered, dancing to music, women hitching skirts to fires and bending low, scuffing behinds on pavements. Men yelled and drank more beer, more tequila, throwing empty bottles and cans against walls, grabbing partners they desired, moving with them. Someone climbed the roadside, shaking it hard enough to bend. The crowd pummeled the sign into pieces before throwing them at the nearest grocery store window. When glass broke, people surged inside, eager to steal. Others fought. Markish and Chilise watched rioters burn and loot, trying to reassure each other they wouldn't be killed. Although Prospect Towers gave relative comfort, it also made them an easy target for the less fortunate. There had been riots where people in the towers had been murdered in order to appease jealous anger. Tied up, burnt, beaten, throats cut. Since those days, extra measures were taken and residential security was tightened to an almost frustrating degree, yet Marcus never quite fooled himself into feeling safe. They had frozen by his window, 
watching the crowd spread through shadowed streets, joining friends and family from nearby blocks. It seemed as though every back alley and main road was filled with people, screams, the sound of everything breaking at once. In the confines of their level, the noises echoed and bounced back to find them. Soon they hugged in fear, Chinache shivering beneath him like an injured bird. She was an earnest young woman, Lotse by descent, a photographer, art, a photographer for art light, though she refused to record what they saw. They ate, drank and talked until half past three, when the riots moved from their block. Chinache left for her own allocation. He remained at the window for another half hour before retiring to bed. With a club in one hand and a pistol in the other.
and welcome back to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. You just heard Courtier Newland reading from his book A River Called Time, which is coming out in January of next year, so that's January 2021. This is Emma Rose, and um, we're just about to hear an interview I did with Joe Goodman, the daughter of the late Stuart Goodman. Stuart Goodman, whose book... Um, one Saturday in 82 on Broadway Market is published on Own It, sadly passed away uh, in April of this year due to complications connected to COVID-19. His book of photographs shows a day in the life of Broadway Market, a street in Hackney um, with a market on it that went from being just another street in Hackney to a world famous kind of tourist hotspot that it is now. It wasn't always that way, like much of London. Um, so this this book of photographs shows you what it used to be and celebrates the people that lived there. You'll hear Jo talk about it and she'll talk about it much better than I am doing right now. So I'm gonna tell you a little bit about Stuart, her father. He worked as a Fleet Street photographer for 25 years and this book um, came out just a week before he unfortunately passed away. There was due to be a party, a celebration for the book, which obviously was cancelled due to the lockdown. But I think they're looking to reschedule this late when it, when it's possible. And um, But you can order the book through Ownit um, on their website. Now you're going to hear me speaking to Jo earlier today about her father his work, and her memories of him. Hi Jo, um, thanks for joining us on Roaring Twenties Radio today over the phone. Um, just really appreciate you coming on the show to talk about the work of your dad, Stuart Goodman, who we um, sadly lost to COVID-19. Um, could you start by just, I just, could you, he sounds like such a fascinating man, could you tell me a little bit about your dad? He fascinating. I think he would definitely take as a, as a compliment. Um, and I'm probably a bit biased, but I think he was a really wonderful man. Um, he grew up in Hackney on the Woodbury Down Estate and spent kind of the first half of his life in London. Um, he was a Fleet Street journalist, so working for a lot of the papers uh, in the 70s and 80s and kind of was always on the cutting edge of everything that was going on um, and kind of loved that, I think. Um, he moved, We moved to Norfolk when I was quite young and I think he always missed London. Um, he never quite managed to get the same buzz. You can imagine Norfolk life moves a bit slower. Um, but he, he, you know, kept that kind of interest in what was going on and um, he did a lot of community projects here as well so he um, worked with people on things like day in the life projects um, to capture what was going on in the town we lived in um, and yeah he was just a really warm funny man who everyone really warmed to. Yeah. The talent as a photographer because like, you've got to be able to get people to let you take their picture let you in get the access and you know and it's I think it's a whole it's part of being a journalist of any kind to be able to gain people's trust I think in a genuine way yeah definitely and I think one of the things we really like as a family now looking 
back at his photos is just seeing the kind of look of trust in people's eyes when they're looking at him or you know the smile because he was a very funny guy so quite often you can see people kind of having a bit of a laugh at him or um he really just put people at their ease and I think that was something really special about him yeah and it must have been it must have been so kind of like just it's one of those jobs those kind of like superstar jobs the idea of being a photojournalist and it must have been fascinating to hear about his stories of working on Fleet Street and um to did you would you look at his work or anything like that while you were growing up or yeah I mean he'd have loads of stories and it always felt quite funny to us growing up in Norfolk and he you know he wasn't in the middle of the cut and thrust of all of that but he'd tell us stories about the time he offered Prince Charles a slice of pizza um the time he um covered the Brixton riots and someone told him that he should wear newspaper as it worked as armor and he brushed against a knife or like and somehow this newspaper stopped him getting stabbed so he, he had a lot of stories and also just I think the kind of camaraderie of working with the other photojournalists and you know being right there as the story was unfolding so that was I mean probably when I was younger I didn't appreciate quite how fascinating it was and maybe I wish I'd, <laughs> I'd written down those stories or recorded them but yeah it was always interesting to hear about yeah, I can imagine. And then, just um, I'm look. I um, I received a copy of the book of in nineteen in eighty two on Broadway Market. One Saturday in eighty two on Broadway Market, full title, and um, and I love that because I used to live really near Broadway Market, and I remember my oh, mum worked near there, and it was just as it was changing. I remember the Felder Video Shop had opened, which everyone I think was happy with, you know, and then it started to kind of go in different ways, um, you know, move some great shops, some less great shops. I remember there was one shop that just seemed to sell jars of sweets that no one ever bought, <laughs> and things. <laughs> But it's just, and I remember seeing his pictures up in Broadway Market as a kind of, um, as a monument to what the market had been. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, and he had a shop there, is that right? Yeah, he did. He had a t-shirt printing business there. Um, never particularly successful, I don't think. But yeah, he, he lived on the market and he had a shop there and um, then he lived around the corner Um so, yeah, he, he says, you probably read in the intro, he met both of his wives there mercifully, not at the same time. <laughs> so he had a really strong connection to the market over quite a number of years and was involved in the campaign to stop it being demolished um, in the 80s as well. Yeah, and now, obviously, it's an international tourist destination, which is strange. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think he always um, had a slight element of disbelief every time he hadn't been to the market for a while and he came back and there was a new, you know, fancy wine bar or um, something like that. He kind of would stop and look around and you could see that just sense of disbelief in his eyes <laughs> that this, you know, quite nondescript street that always, I think, had a really strong sense of community, yeah. that it could become something so, so different. He also told the story of someone offered him um, to buy their flat. Um, I think something like they offered him, if he wanted to buy the flat, he could have that for £2,000. But if he took the business downstairs with it, they could get it for what he could get it for £1,000. <laughs> so it was like, you know, a lot of those businesses were massively struggling. You know, it was it was really kind of 
on the edge of, of being able to survive at all. So I think his disbelief at how it's changed, um, you know, in some ways really thriving, but in other ways, you know, there's arguments to say that, you know, there's been a huge amount of gentrification and that's been detrimental to a lot of people as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's a kind of two-edged sword, isn't it? Because in some ways it's great to see there being thriving businesses there. But also, you don't want it to be at the cost of local life. Um, <clears throat> um, but these images, I think, really provide a context for where, for the good or the bad, the market has ended up. And um, yeah. it's just really, they're just, these images are so lovely. I mean, you've just, the classic shop, you can see who's kept the shop fronts of the new businesses there. And I love yeah. the context of the even the adverts that are up the the placard the billboards that are up on yeah. the wall like the British is it the British Museum Japanese exhibition it looks like it will be at the British Museum and yeah. um, the pubs and the fish and chip shop which is still there yes yeah there are a few places that have kind of survived through it all which is really nice um but yeah actually that advert for the exhibition was one of the things that actually enabled him to date the photos because they were all taken on one day walking through the market um so he my dad never had the best memory for details um and it was before he met my mum I'm sure my mum would have told him exactly when it was (laughs) if they'd been together um but um yeah, that exhibition, I think, was what they what enabled them to actually tell exactly when he'd taken them. Oh, fascinating. Fascinating. And um, I, 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 I just, I really, lo- I really love this book. I think it's wonderful, not just because of my own emotional attachment to the area, but just because I grew up in London as well. And sometimes there are little parts that haven't changed, very, very small parts, but there's just... Yeah. Sometimes it kind of you have to do a double take at how much your home has changed in such a short time. Yeah. And I think to remember how things were, because it influences how things are, is really, really important for preserving, you know, in the integrity of these areas through this gentrification process, which feels inevitable at the moment. Yeah. Definitely. And I think that's the thing. In day-to-day life, you don't really think to photograph your surroundings. You know, you're not going anywhere special. It's just, you know, round the corner. But actually, you, you do kind of lose that, don't you? And what's really nice is that, I mean, a lot of the people in the photos Dad did have relationships with, he knew, you know, he was a part of that community. But also there's been some really lovely stuff of people spotting people. So one of the one of the most amazing things was when he first sent the photos across to the publishers, Own It, um, Jason, who's um, one of the people there, he had actually lived pretty much on the market um, most of his life, and he spotted his mum. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> And that was just so amazing and it was just like it was absolutely meant to be you know that those are the publishers that found the photos and published the book but it's it's really nice now kind of people being able to spot things that they'd forgotten or things that they remember people they remember um and that it is a record of a community and and a place that might not have felt remarkable to anyone at the time um but now it's you know changed 
beyond recognition and so the fact that it's been kind of captured in a bit of a time capsule is really special I think yeah it's wonderful it's absolutely wonderful well thank you so much for coming on and sharing your memory of your dad really appreciate that and um talking thank you for letting me about... oh no it's wonderful it's wonderful <laughs> so it's it's nice when we get to do these things that we want to do in the way we want to do them but um yeah thank you so much um for coming on and hopefully when everything's shut down at one of own its fun events I, we might get to meet who knows yeah, yeah, fingers crossed. We wanna the book launch got cancelled, um, so we wanna do him proud and do a big launch and memorial for him when we can. Fantastic. So. Well, we'll we'll um, amplify that here on Roaring Twenties, and I hope to meet you then. Thank you. Me too. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Picture a man of nearly 30 who seems twice as old with clothes torn and dirty. Give him a job shining shoes or cleaning out toilets with bus station crews. Give him six children with nothing to eat. Expose them to life on a ghetto street. Tie an old rag around his wife's head and have her pregnant and lying in bed. Stuff them all in a Harlem house and then tell them how bad things are down south. And you're listening to Roaring Twenties Radio. We just played a clip of some of the protesters um, in London, here in London at Speaker's Corner. Um, I got I got that from my friend Elaine's um, Instagram. And then we went into Gil Scott Heron, fantastic poem called Paint It Black. Now we're on the telephone with Crystal and Jason from Own It. Can we hear you? Can we hear you? Are you there? Hey, guys. Hello, How are you doing? hello, hello, hello. Okay, so I'm gonna just gonna ask you just some really easy questions. Um, and first of all, just how did Own It start? Do you remember a specific event that sparked the first conversation that got Own It going? Oh gosh, you know what? That's, yeah, it's a bit. Um... Okay, so it wasn't. It was a specific thought, if I'm honest. So I was working at Penguin Random House. It was a Monday. I was in a meeting. And I just suddenly felt like I don't want to do this anymore. These are not the stories that I want to hear or be part of telling. It all feels very same old, same old. And this just isn't for me anymore. And I think I came out that lunchtime. I called Jason. I said, I'm resigning tomorrow. We need to set something up. We need to do our own thing. And that was kind of the beginning, I think, in a way. Yeah, definitely. Um... I probably wasn't as enthusiastic at first, if I'm being honest, because, you know, we had, like, um, a, a mortgage, or we have a mortgage, you know, and we was like, yeah, this, is gonna, this ain't really going to help. Um, this might not help in that. So Jason's giving you the polite version. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of the word, but I say all the words in that. Um, 
I don't think it's going to be possible, folks. So let's just say that, um, yeah, I was, I was a bit more worried than that. Um, but you know what? Honestly, um, once I spoke to Crystal and, uh, and just heard her passion for, for what she wanted to do, and obviously knowing Crystal, knowing the kind of person that she is, um, it just, yeah, it felt, it felt right because um, I can be, can I say this? Crystal, was, I can irritatingly say that she's one of the most honest people that I've ever known in my life. And I can honestly say that in a sense mm-hmm. where she is a real fighter and just fierce when she believes in something and and her integrity levels is embarrassing to me. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You can't live up to it. Do you know what I mean? I, I and promise so, I did not pay him. I no, but I think it's in the context of what we're saying about when you said what you said, it wasn't like, you know, um kind of willy nilly, you know, or something like that. It was like, no, this is what you're gonna do and it's like, okay, you know what? Okay. It's just a desire for change and I think that's something that exists in both of us and is something that exists in everyone who's part of us and makes up what own it is. It's just a desire to see change in a way that somehow makes the world a better place and I think that art is such a powerful way to do that. So I guess, you know, that was the thought and and Jason, Jason also kind of embodies that and was also so much of the inspiration. So going back a million years almost, um, he was part of a really pioneering hip-hop group called 12 Stone Productions, and at the time, this is like late 90s, they were really kind of, um, just really kind of passionate about the fact that we need to represent the UK within hip-hop, we need to have London accents, we need to have um, regional UK accents, anything that's us and that's our identity and that's not steeped in American culture or any other culture and I think just that idea exists in both of us that we need to be proud of who we are, whatever that is, we need to express that and that creates empathy and allows us to really kind of create a deeper, bigger culture that's going to help society and do that through music and through books and through art and through all the amazing things that you guys speak about on Roaring Twenties. That's a a fantastic answer. So if anyone was new to Own It, what's Own It about? And and who are your clients and who, who are you representing? Okay, so um, Own It has various branches of various arms under the Own It banner and company. So um, we're a publisher, we have Own It Publishing, we're a literary film and TV agency, and we do events. Um, There's a common theme, I guess, with everyone that we um, represent on the literary film and TV agency side and publish on the book side. Um, And that's that's just a desire to be political within their art but without being political so just within what they do they are saying something always and that's not always overt and that's it's always original and it's always creative but it does always make a difference as well in whichever way and I think that's a common theme for everyone that's part of us I mean like um um, obviously Crystal's from a um an Indian background, I'm from a Caribbean background, um, but for us it was really important to try to put work out there that we just thought was really powerful, um, rather than just being, um, say, only publishing um, black authors. Um, there are companies that do that and that's great and fantastic and, and needed because unfortunately um, the playing ground has been so unlevel for so long, so we need that, but just for us, 
we just wanted to just be able to put out any kind of work that we thought was powerful or say something in, 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 in a way. And um, and that's something that we always try, you know, we all, we always try to do. And, 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 I, and I think art is always political one, one way or another, you know, especially how people might perceive um, whatever art is that they're looking at or listening to or, or watching. Um, it's so subjective. But um, we think about what we're, what, what we're doing in terms of the, the work that we that we want to see in the world and that. I think when someone says, be the change that you want to be, well, sometimes you can't always do it, but certainly we can help to facilitate other people trying to do it and, and put those kind of works into the world, which we really believe are so important. You know, I can't think of the amount of times where something has touched me, whether it's a song or just you know, looking at a painting or, or reading a book that's just changed me, you know, it's changed my perception that I had the hour before, the minute or the second before. And I think that, you know, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, and I'm proud to be, to be a part of that. Thank you. That's amazing. And, and the thing that um, we've just, just phoning you now, so can you tell us you've just this minute issued a statement with your response to Black Lives Matter? I'd rather you put it in your words. What was your statement about what's um, Own It doing towards the Black Lives Matter with the terrible atrocities and terrible things that are happening all over the world and the global protests that are happening now? Um, so we've been in touch over the last week with the organisers on the ground um, in the US, in, in LA mainly, and we wanted to speak to them about what we could practically do to help them. I think at the moment there's so much anger and rage and desire for solidarity, but it, it's hard sometimes to know how to channel that into ways that is going to make real practical differences for the people on the ground organising. So that's what our conversations have been about. Um, they have just issued a letter and a petition, um, and it's a ask and a demand that the police in the US are defunded. They feel that, and I think we can all agree, the police are not fit for purpose. They're not protecting um societies or or all of society in the way that they need and in fact they're they're hindering and and killing you know killing part of society that they're not acknowledging and i think the idea that um they're still being funded that money to them is being increased there's something like a 220 percent increase from um what they had in terms of funds say 40 years ago to what they have now and it's kind of crazy that they're getting more and more money when all we're seeing is more and more deaths of black people at their hands so this is really a call to action from them um it's the movement for black lives and it's a coalition of black organizations across america including black lives matter who are coming together yeah. it's almost like in, in a business sense you don't get you don't get you know you shouldn't get more money if your business is doing it's doing worse you know what i mean it's usually like a, a consequence of you know, your business isn't going well and you don't get as much money in that. So why should they have the same levels of funding? Does it make sense in that? And especially with the money that's spent on military, basically military hardware that's used. And, um, and, and look, let me say as well, like, I mean, we're talking about what's going on in, in the US, but, you know, it's not like this hasn't been going on over here for, for, for years and years and years. Um, police brutality, yeah. racial profiling. And so 
And that's why we really feel it. And I, and I think not just in the UK, I think it's probably the same in France and Germany and other places where there might be minority people in a sense of we understand that because we know that at any minute it could happen here, it could happen to us, it could happen it to our... Happening. It is happening, it has been. And so as I think, I think um, you, you know, and, and obviously being in the midst of a pandemic where it's already highlighting um, inequalities, even in, in the deaths of people have a, you know... A, a virus and that's exposing um, lots of things as well and, it's, and I think it's just happened at a time you know where people are just you know I think what's been kind of heartening to me is that lots of different people have joined the conversation and maybe asking maybe different questions that they, they may not have before I think that's interesting and I welcome it um, as a black man um, that all people can come together and try and figure out solutions for, for this problem and then also to acknowledge that look this hasn't fallen out of the sky it's a consequence of, of of slavery and the needs to justify slavery the needs to justify why africans would be enslaved and again it's all about money it's all about people protecting their business and um i think and, it's about change isn't it and on a systemic level i think that's what i'm seeing above and beyond conversations of obviously this has happened in the past yeah. It's not the first time. Um, and so, but what I'm hearing that's different is people calling for systemic change. I mean, I think there was the, even the Minneapolis mayor was saying he can't legitimately fire police officers. Yeah. And he can't, or he can fire them, but he can't guarantee that they don't get their jobs back because the yeah, union sure. has more power than him, even though he has a popular mandate. So there are all these issues that need to be unpicked yeah. and i mean and i and am i right in thinking that you're donating you're making a donation out of this month's profits from own it yeah so all money um that we make from our publishing in the month of june we're donating directly to george floyd's family um we think that it's really important to well that the people who are being most affected by it have direct support and you know we talk about finance and economy being so much part of where has got us to this systemic change and i think something that we can all do as organizations as individuals is be very conscious about how we spend our money how we use our money and what statements we make with that so um yeah any any books that are bought and any money that we make for our publishing in june we're donating directly to yeah. his family and this is really to help it's not just to give um, for the sake of it obviously they're going to have massive legal costs once they go up against <laughs> um, the, the state and that so it's yeah. really to help with lots of other things as well just you know and we're also um, wanting to help um, causes over here as well and I think that's really important to acknowledge I mean what's going on in America is really profound as well but also as well in this country because we know that it's happening over here and it happens and I, I think one of the really interesting things is now what you're seeing we have so much cameras on our phone now and cameras everywhere there's cameras and all these things are being filmed and it's like but we've actually been saying this for years unfortunately there wasn't video cameras you know like 20 30 years or 40 50 years ago and you can only imagine some of the horrors that have happened over here and yeah. in the states and, and, and france and germany and other, and other parts of the world um and we have been saying it for a long time but you're but you're right in saying that maybe the difference is that we're talking about the systematic change not just putting um um, plasters on, on cups, you know. We we really have to look at um, 
you know, real meaningful change. And if that means changing the structure of of how the police is run in the states and and, and looking at issues to do to do with how the police are run over here and how they look at certain communities, it's 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 it's, it's a lot, you know. But I think you know I'm an optimist as well, you know, and I like to believe that human beings are collectively smart enough to sometimes even if it's even if it's just to protect ourselves because I, I really believe that as a society we're only damaging ourselves by having members of our society looked down upon and treated in this way i don't think this is good for anyone in society whatever your politics is well said well said yeah um okay so now um we've been talking we've been talking about your festival can you tell our listeners at home um what they're going to expect with the own it online festival which is happening next week can you tell us some of the highlights please Yes, oh, it's so hard to pick out highlights. We're so excited. It's going to be such an eclectic lineup of really amazing voices um, talking about lots of different things. So we have workshops. We've got um, MC Angel doing a workshop on how to creatively express. We've got Sam Conniff and Alex Parker doing a workshop on how to be more pirate. And by that, they're just really talking about how we can fuck shit up for the better. Um, we've got... Finance. 
um, marketing, marketing and law um so it's just you know what we could go on forever it's like really eclectic such a mix of different conversations topics formats and how, and how do people find you do they just go to your website or is this on instagram or how yeah do... so yeah. um it will be a mix of on our website which is ownit.london so www.ownit.london it will be on instagram live um and it will be on zoom but you can find all the details on our website on our website or check out our instagram page which is own underscore it underscore ldn um and yeah and check and follow it's all of our yeah, amazing it's, it's the lot, you know jj bowler as well so jj bowler and um, he's talking about three years on um so from when he first published no place to call home um and kind of what that journey's been like so i think any aspiring writers creatives people who want to get into doing it professionally there'll be so many tips and practical insights anyone who just wants like good entertainment and to escape for a bit so um sophia and yourself selena are going to be doing an evening of poetry and again i just think that's such an uplifting medium which can help everyone at the moment so yeah lots of things for amazing we're looking forward to all of that i just want to thank you so much for coming on roaring 20s radio thank you Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you for all the work that you do and your amazing shows that you put out. Oh, we're going to... Thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you so much. We're going to be playing some more highlights from the show. Are you going to be tuning in? Definitely. Definitely. Okay, you take care, you two. I love you. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Hi, welcome back to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. I'm Emma Rose and welcome to my art segment for this month. It's a funny time to be doing art segments because really we can't go to anything. Everything's digital and um, as wonderful as that is in its own way, I think we're all, I can, if, you, if you're like me, you're missing going to see things you know, experiencing things in person. I'm kind of ready. I'm ready for the unlocking, the big unlocking. And across Europe, galleries and museums are opening. Berlin opened a while ago. And I think in Germany, they've even got a socially distanced concert hall. It's almost someone um, coined it as being a first class experience as I've taken out two thirds of the seats. And I think it might be two thirds more expensive. But um Basically, the arts are creaking into action, trying to find a way forward in the situation we're living in, in this pandemic. While in London, I think commercial galleries will be opening kind of around the 16th of June is the main date that I'm getting through. Um, But they're opening by appointment only for obvious reasons. My main thought of this is let's not let this last too long. Um, one of the most wonderful things I think we have in our art scene in the UK is the access level and the free access level that we have for everybody to go and see our museums, our galleries um, and our institutions. While obviously sometimes theatre and things can be very expensive, there are often deals and um, museums and our main art collections are free if once you travel you'll realize very quickly this is not the case everywhere and while social distancing is important even for these commercial spaces and I think we need to remember they are commercial spaces commercial galleries I think we don't want to lose that we don't want to lose that access because I think it really feeds into what makes our scenes special here so while I'm going to be trying, I'm going to be making some appointments. I'm going to be going to see some commercial shows uh, throughout this month. Um, I encourage you to try and do the same, just to go and have a look um, and experience these things as we have been experiencing them in the past. We don't want it to become an exclusive thing like it is elsewhere. We don't want to lose that special thing that the UK has in its relationship with the arts. Um, for recently, I've talked a little bit about theatre as well. Um, our theatres are massively under threat and underfunded to begin with. I think they run on a shoestring. Even places like the Royal Albert Hall are saying that there's a real danger there for their businesses. And But one thing that's been really lovely on lockdown is to experience these fantastic plays that have been coming online. Um, National Theatre has been putting stuff up every Thursday, I think in partnership with the Donmar Warehouse. Last week I watched This House, fantastic play. I loved it and it was it's all about the kind of the end of the Labour era going into when Thatcher came into power, This House being the Houses of Parliament. Fantastic play and I think that's up until Thursday this week um, and then I think it's Coriolanus. Um, this Thursday and then up for another week Um, and I think they encourage you to make a donation of around £10 um, or £20 which you can do via text every little helps Um, it wouldn't be right if I didn't mention what was happening in the US 
Um, I'm seeing my colleagues, journalists and gallerists, artists out on the streets of New York almost, well, every night um, via social media um, and what they're posting is on many levels very disturbing. It's also great to see everyone activated in, in the streets and often they are protesting peacefully and chatting, exchanging ideas. It's not all burning the house down and I think it's important to stress that as many people have been saying well yes there have been violence in the protests but no this isn't the story across the board so um that's my art update for this month not much to see but plenty to think about thank you and now we're going to have a poem from Sophia Thakur who's going to be doing an insta live as part of own it festival with Selena at 8 p.m on the 9th of June fear-mongering police aren't after conversations they're after culprits they don't sharpen their fangs for us to feel safe he wakes if he's lucky with bite marks lining his back, branding his black. With empty court dates and arrests made in vain, anything to sow shame, anything to make sure young boy never feels safe, so of course I ran. I've read this story a hundred times over, and I would rather run blissful in ignorance but alive, when stopping could be suicide. Thank you. 
to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. We just had a short poem from Sophia Foucault, followed by her musical choice of Most Deaf. Uh, and now we're going to have a reading from Ashley Hickson Lovens. Ashley is reading from his novel The 392, which is published by Own It, and he's going to be performing as part of Own It's Festival on Wednesday the 10th of June. You can find out more on ownit.london. Levi. I remember the colour so clearly. I had never seen anything like it, a bright golden orange like the lava from a volcano. It was in fact an eruption of light. Even though it was dark and pretty late, the flames were so blindingly bright I could have worn sunglasses. The flames felt so hot too, I could feel it prickling my skin, but I just wanted to stay and watch the power of the flames at work. I remember watching as the fire engulfed the interior, the seats, the poles, the steering wheel, the windows, the stairs, both the lower deck and upper deck all aflame. After a short while my eyes started stinging from the smoke billowing but I stood there still as the ash flew about everywhere like hot summer snowflakes and tears streamed from my eyes. I never thought I would see a sight like this, a fire causing so much damage, a bus dying in this way. 
all along Tottenham High Road, complete chaos, like something from the news when you hear about Syria and Afghanistan. Buildings on fire and hooded kids egging the police on, swearing and cussing, hurling rocks and glass bottles and messaging people from all over London who got the call to get involved. Police horses charging into crowds of people, crowds that included little kids and behind the horses an army of police officers in riot gear, batons, shields and swear words. It was madness. I could see why people were angry. I was angry. And to top it all off, we had police officers not even from the area, not even from London, some of them, trying to tell us what to do and how to feel. It got everyone even madder. This was Tottenham, not Hull. As the night carried on, the troubles got worse. I remember the broken glass showering down on us like rain and the plumes of smoke from the bus on fire still cascading into the sky and clouding the whole of Tottenham and the whole of North London, basically. Police vans barricading and blocking off certain roads. But it didn't stop us. We ran around aimlessly like it was one big game, one big playground. People jumped on abandoned police cars, climbed over garden fences and smashed shop windows. We felt all emotions, anger and ecstasy, joy and pain. We were hurt and wanted to cause as much damage as possible. Get back at the police, get back at David Cameron and the Tory government and get back at the racist systems. And this was the only voice that we had. Forget marches in Westminster Square. This was our own special form of protest in the comfort of our own area. Like this little bus journey, it's been bumpy at times, but I've turned a few corners since the court case in 2011. I've had to do my time, clear my name and move forward quickly and trust me, that wasn't easy. Wearing high vids on the high street, sweeping roads and loading bin bags into the back of vans while my boys from the ends watched from across the road, laughing and cussing. That shit was tough. But I studied hard in the evenings. St Anne's Library became my second home. Ever since primary school, people have always told me I was good at arguing. Something that comes from my days at secondary Arguing with everyone that Manchester United were better than Arsenal. Comparing Keane with Vieira, Giggs with Pires, Skulls with Fabregas. To be fair, no one could compete with Henri though. That guy was class. Even though we were all about five minutes from White Hart Lane, no one rated Tottenham. They've always been a bit rubbish. I was destined to work in law from young and it was more than just because for black parents it's one of only three desired career paths, the others being doctor or engineer of course. But being a lawyer always seemed to be a career that played to my skills, debating, fighting injustice, going blow to blow with the popo. 2011 was a setback to say the least. I can't lie, I got sucked in by all the Mark Duggan hard stop stuff. It mattered to me, he mattered to me. I knew him, not personally, but everyone in the end knew of him, saw him about the estate from time to time in his bends. He was like what Escobar was to Medellin in Narcos. He was one of those faces of the area, godlike in many ways, not just him, but his whole family too. It was all the Mark had a gun talk that got us really angry in the days after he was shot dead by people paid to protect the community. If he had a gun, he ain't going to shoot it at police officers now, is he? As I said to the magistrates that day, this isn't America. I had to do something. I needed to make a difference. Defend the defenceless. That's why I became a solicitor. Fight injustice, one case at a time. Mm. Mm. Mm.
And into 
You're listening to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. Um, I'm Selena Godden, and that was my track choice for this show. Um, that was the great Arthur Flowers. He's a novelist, essayist, performance poet. He's a native of Memphis, Tennessee. He's author of novels, Another Good Love in Blues, Demojo Blues, and children's book, Cleveland Lee's Beale Street Band, um, and a memoir manifesto, Mojo Rising, Confessions of a 21st Century Conjure Man, and a graphic non-fiction, I See the Promised Land. I met Arthur Flowers in 
in Ubud in Bali, a, a writer's festival, and he gave me a copy of I See the Promised Land. It's such a beautiful, beautiful book. Um, he's published short stories and articles, and he's a blues-based performance poet. Um, so please check out his work. You'll find his blog is Roots Blog. Um, he's a cyber hoodoo web space. <laughs> um, and his novel in progress is Rest for the Weary. Um, it's a meditation on prophecy, destiny, fate and the human condition. He's also working on a non-fiction work, The Hoodoo Book of Flowers. He considers having an online presence part of being a 21st century literary man. So yeah, check out his blog, Roots Blog, and you'll find him on um, Twitter too. Okay, we've come to the bit of the show where I talk about books. And um, I'm having a difficult time um, doing my section um, this month. I'm I'm really sorry. Um, I don't know where to begin with which books you should read and which books you haven't read and, and how to educate and how at times like this it's we're making lists and lists of, of trying to raise awareness and trying to find the books that people should be reading, could be reading, want to be reading. I wrote this tweet. Note, making a list of black and brown writers, please include books of joy and art, science and nature, space and history, beauty and laughter. The struggle is our life. It is an effort to get published. Not all black literature is essays on pain and hurt. The pain is in there, but there's also the hope and the power and from that tweet, people started sending me some fantastic um, um, suggestions of books that are not just essays about the struggle, not just essays about the pain, but great inventive and creative and imaginary books. So I'm going to read out some of your suggestions of what you want people to read. Um, Lisa Lovebucket talks about um, D. Hang on, Dominic Nelson Ashley. And he's a brilliant writer covering themes of sex, love, death and music as well as race. Um, Tim Wells wrote in with Brother Man by Roger Mays. Um, someone else tweeted in and said that it's good to make lists of living artists and that they deeply respect the works of, for example, Zora Neale Hurston, um, Zora Neale Hurston, for example. But borrow her books and why don't we all make a... Make a make time to actively be buying the work of actively working writers, living writers, and borrow the old books, which is a, it's a great point. Someone else wrote in with um, Tony Cade Bambara, Butchie, Emma, I'm so sorry, what's... Emma, Emma Cheetah. Butchie, Emma Cheetah, and Anthony Joseph. I've got Anthony Joseph's album. He's a fantastic writer. There are so many names and so many books and so many people to follow and to try to support and to put your money where your mouth is try publishers like dialogue books own it of course who we've been featuring in this show influx press canongate cassava republic jacaranda books new beacon books and then of course bookshops that always put black people in their shop windows for example newham bookshop um and then there's all the great books that are about the struggle, that are about the fight. Obviously, The Good Immigrant, which is in Japanese and in American and in England. England, England. Um, so I'm getting quite emotional here. Um, 
Yeah, but you've got more there. So what, what else have you okay, got Okay, there? so there's blacklisted, slay yeah. in your name, why I no longer talk to white people about race, queenie, rainbow milk, natives by Akala, girl, woman, other. There's so much reading to do and so much learning to do. But we're not here to do all the teaching and all the work, all the emotional work. You have to meet us halfway. And then what, but the, exactly, and what I kind of think is, and what a lot of people have been saying in myriad ways on social media is, okay, this momentum is great. Um, let's not forget that a man died, but this momentum is fantastic and this focus on equality and rights and racist systems is really important. But let's not just share a picture you know, do a few likes and move forward and forget this. Let's make this something and respect the memory of George Floyd and the many others that have, that people are protesting at the death of in the US. Let's respect the moment and take it forward. Thank you. Thank you, Rose. And moving on from my, <laughs> my emotional tirade, let's hear from Reggie. Uh, Reggie is signed to own it and he sent in this poem. I really want to take this time so that you can understand this part of me. We get told that we have options, but to us there's no visibility. We get penciled into this lead box, told to kick rocks, and even though we have no food at home, told to get at least an A or a B in all of our mocks. See, the estate where I'm from is like a social confinement. Rich gangsters and poor graduates, the lucrative money gets blinding. Nobody wakes up one day and says, I'm going to sell drugs. But it's a self-fulfilling prophecy when they keep labelling us as a thug. Our mums graft the way and show us so much love and care. They don't have their leave to remain in the UK, so have to earn minimum wage every single year. They work odd jobs just so that we can literally be fed. I mean, £2 a day for chicken and chips literally got our mums in debt. We got given £2 a day, but lunch in school was £2.50. Ate something quickly in the morning and then went throughout the day hungry. After school, all we could do was eat chicken and chips and then we got a little bit chunky. And that's when the gangsters in the area looked at us and saw that we were dirty. Our trainers had holes and our uniforms were tattered. Our trousers had to be repaired four times before they could be called battered. See, those gangsters stood there looking for young ones to mould. They offer £50 to a 13-year-old to go and sell crow and at first he says no, gets his supper then goes home. No money left on the gas card so now the house becomes cold. Next day he starts again, eats something quickly then goes and he's at the chicken and chip shop again and the same gangsters offer him dough. And he remembers. He remembers that his house was cold. He could hear his mum crying in the night because the light was about to blow. He knows she smiles in his face, but by herself she feels low. So he reminisces on their offer, at first to sell crow. Too young to think of the consequences, he sells it and gets 50. 
That's £50 in less than 10 minutes, more money than he's ever seen. He slips the £50 in his mum's purse so that she can go and buy some lighting. She's suspicious about the money, but she needs it, so she keeps silent. They offer him more money if he goes to sell more. The chicken and chips has made his face spotty and has made him feel sick within his core. He accepts one more time, this time makes 200. Who's this kid selling on our turf? Now the opposition want him to be hunted. He hands over the 200, but this time his mum asks where he gets it from. Mum, I've been working, here's the light, money. Quick, go and buy it because it's going to go off. Another day of light and gas, day by day, the family's trying. Once the kid goes to sleep, she's up again and the mother starts crying. She's received eviction letters and seen bailiffs at her door. She came to this country for her children so that they could have more. She came so that she can build and in the future so that they can never struggle. So now she struggles every day so that her children won't struggle. (laughs) The irony. He eventually gets caught, goes to court and then gets a caution. He doesn't want to do what he's doing because now it's becoming exhausting. He's lost friends around him, more funerals than birthday parties. Rest in peace, Jason, Kojo, Max and rest in peace, Charlie. The basics of life to some come at such an expense. Survival of the fittest is so real that sometimes it's a pretense. What if someone was to help him? Give him visibility to something different. Told him that he can be a doctor or a creative and told him that these things were not too distant. An entrepreneur or a marketer. Someone that can influence change. It's funny because when someone did, that's when things started to change. Growing up on an estate birthed a resilient spirit inside of us. We were made thick-skinned, where, from a place where survival was a plus. It birthed energy, tenacity and a go-getter attitude. The transferable skills we gained are different but they make for our servitude. That's why you can tell all of us no, but we'll still go again. Or you'll see that we're the hardest working people amongst all of our friends. It's because to us, this is more than just a career, but a chance to make anew. So that when we have kids, they won't have to go through what we went through. We never wanted to do what we did. We just tried to live day by day. So we have regrets, but we're grateful. Yes, we're grateful for our mistakes. It taught us life skills like no other and made us learn at an alarming rate. So I guess all I can say is thank you. Yes, we are grateful for our estate. And there's a poem from Reggie Nelson. Reggie will be performing, um, talking at the Own It Festival on Saturday the 13th of 
June. Reggie Nelson is a most is most recognised by the media as an innovative young man who went from East London to the city, achieving this by knocking on the doors of people in wealthy areas and asking for life advice. On his journey, Reggie has completed five internships at various asset managers and a hedge fund in the city, the most notable being BlackRock and Aberdeen Standard Investments. Reggie is currently an analyst for the investment management firm in London, in London, group chair of the ACCA Emerging Talent Advisory Group and a youth mentor for one of the largest youth networks in the UK. Reggie has previously worked with the Cabinet Office as they continue to address ethnic disparities in higher education in the workplace. He has also been described by the former Prime Minister Theresa May as a persistent and inspiring young person. It was really wonderful to hear your poem, Reggie. Thank you. Roaring Twenties Radio, the show for the 2020s, roaring for art, culture, books, poetry and activism, with Selena Gordon, Emma Rose Abrams and Matt Abbott. Find us every month on Soho Radio. You can find previous episodes as podcasts and social media links at anchor.fm forward slash Roaring Twenties Radio and the 20s is a 20S. Up next, we have a reading from Shamila Shauhan. Um, Shamila is a screenwriter, playwright and prose writer. Her work is often a transgressive meditation on love, sex and an exploration of a diasporic experience. She's particularly interested in the intersection of sex, power and gender. She's been shortlisted for the Asian New Writer Award in 2009 and 2012, and she's currently working on her novel, Encircle. Um, Shamila's going to be doing a live reading on the Monday the 8th as part of the Audit Festival. She's going to be live on Instagram at 7 o'clock in discussion with Chantelle Lewis, talking about cross-cultural relationships and the third space. So this is Shamila Shauhan. On my wedding night, I slowly unravel my sari over my pregnant belly. I release my hair of pins and slide the many bangles off my wrist. I remove my chandlers one by one and take off my gold anklets, undressing each part that is now wife and soon to be mother, but was only hours ago a bride. We ease into bed, exhausted but full of expectation. I place my hennaed hands over my husband's skin, and that night we do what most newlyweds do. But as we find each other, the sanctity of ritualised communion fresh on our skins, there is an awakening of the new life ahead of us. Beyond physical, in this merging, there is something that is deeper, ancient, a kind of cultural communion. That day, under the instruction of our Hindu pundit, we literally tied our clothes together and walked barefoot around the holy fire. Later, we gave libation to our ancestors and under the guidance of our interfaith minister, fed each other sweet, sour and chilli foods and exchanged cowrie shells. Such rituals had nurtured our respective bloodlines for over thousands of years. But most of our guests at our 150 small wedding had never ever seen them merge like this before. Many of our relatives had possibly never even seen a relationship like ours, never mind one formalised in this way. You see, relations between our two communities haven't always been the most harmonious. There were more than a few people in the room who were shocked 
or perhaps even a bit ashamed of my choice of mate, while others were perhaps a little thrilled by it. You see, I've crossed over one of the biggest taboos of our time, whatever race you are, and I married a black man. I'm a second-generation South Asian woman, a Londoner, from a family whose roots lie in Kenya and Zambia, where languages were foreign and money was made, but culture was always saved. I'm breaking a lot of rules. Despite this, I've always been very comfortable being Indian. Maybe less comfortable being a diasporic Indian, but that's another story. Growing up in the UK, there's always been an inherent fear about losing my culture. I was brought up in a way that suggested my culture, my Indianness, was constantly under threat and was going to be eroded by Western ideals. I was taught to love and protect it and never ever marry outside of my race. Thank you to Shamila for sending us that reading. We're now coming to the end of the episode. Thank you very much for tuning in to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. You can find previous episodes as podcasts as well as links to our social media channels at anchor.fm slash Roaring Twenties Radio and the Twenties is 20S. You'll find links to Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and like I said, the previous episodes as podcasts. In this show, we've been focusing on the Own It Online Festival, which starts on Monday, the 8th of June. You can find out more about that by going to the Own It uh, website, which is ownit.london. Shout out to all of the people that are in the Own It family, and also to the people that are in the Livewire family, the Nymphs and Thugs family. We shout out to Inua Elams and Sabrina Mafuz, Nikesh Shukla, Vanessa Kisuli, who else, who else? Uh, Monique Roffey. Tyrone Lewis. Niven Govindan. Niven Govindan. Bridget Minamore. Repeat Beat Poet. Siley Katebi. Nikita Gill. Afua Hirsch. Kit Deval. Bernadine Everisto. Nafisa Hamid. Raymond Antribus. Malika Booker. Casey Bailey. Anthony Anaxakuru. Jeffrey Boake. There are so many amazing writers, amazing books. If you, I stumbled a bit earlier in the show. If you go to my Twitter, you'll find all the answers and suggestions of amazing Black British um, and 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 uh, writers and artists and musicians and people that are making incredible, inventive, and excellent work. We also wanted to mention. Um where you can donate if you wanted to support the protesters uh, and the family of George Floyd and other people who've died at the hands of the police in the United States. Um, So we're just going to read out some places where you can donate. You can check selinagodden.co.uk and she's helpfully made a list. So you can verify. You can check and verify. Um, So we can donate Black Lives Matter. There's bail fund. There's lots of different bail funds. And there's a link here to a specific one where you can spread your donation where it's most needed. You just put in the amount you want to donate. And the website does it for you across the country in the United States where there are protests. There's the National Police Accountability Project. There's Colour of Change, there's Justice for George Floyd, there's the family of George Floyd, there's the fight for Breonna Taylor, there's the family of Omad Arbery, and there's also the family of Belly Majinga. 
Yeah, as well as that, of course, there's people that are being affected by the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. And it, studies have shown that people who are uh, black and brown are more likely to be affected by it. So we have uh, we have the trusseltrust.org. We have the Big Issue Foundation. We have uh, the Refugee Community Kitchen. There's also been a rise in domestic abuse in lockdown, so you can get help and support. There's a link on there. Issues with landlords. Uh, and also funding for writers and poets as well at spreadtheword.org.uk so there's a fantastic uh, list of links and then don't forget also there's Windrush and Grenfell that also need our help um, that's a lot to take on that's a lot and thank you for all your generosity and all the people out there that are sharing these links and trying to make the world a better place and to, to move us into a place of change um, we're coming to the end of the show. I've just had an email from Anna Phoebe. Those of you that listened to the show last month will have heard a, co- a collaboration I did with Anna Phoebe last month. Um, Anna Phoebe is a violinist and a composer, um, and we've been working with, with each other through the internet, just sending each other files. And she's just sent me um, some music that she's written to a poem that I've written. Shall we end the show with that? Let's do that. Thanks for listening, everybody. This is Wild Justice Waits with music by Anna Phoebe. Tune in next month to Roaring Twenties Radio. Thank you. There they go again, filling your mouth with their name. There they go again, adding more weight to your burden. There they go again, giving you all the anxiety whilst telling you not to panic when the panic is rooted in centuries of there they go again, there they go again, there they go again, contradicting their own rules, double speak and double standards, there they go again, your dead are statistics, your ghosts live in hashtags, there they go again, getting away with murder but calling it anything else, there they go again, doing nothing as you're vulnerable and sick and the dying need all your love and care and your living need all of your focus energy and time but there they go again filling your plate with their jobs and the work they should do as your elected leaders there they go again dominating your thoughts so no work can get done there they go again Grimacing on the front page, hogging the limelight with performative cruelty. There they go again, suffocating light and hope like a pillow held fast over the face of the kicking and struggling truth. There they go again, consuming all the oxygen and rewriting history. There they go again, like it's all about them. But it is because of them and it is in spite of them. There they go again, obscuring the facts, blurring the edges, blinkering the horse, filtering the picture. There they go again, there they go again, there they go again, there they go again. And it is not the names of the dead, nor the name of the nurse, not the name of the innocent, but their name in your mouth. How can it be? That when you wake in the night, wailing and mourning and hurting, they are marching on your tongue, they are renting your insomnia. There they go again, using your anguish as garnish, using your defence as attack, using your fear to divide you, using your rage to pass draconian laws, using your pain to sell shit back to you, using your grief to decorate newspapers, using your anger 
to kill you. Because there they go again, casting an ass in the lead role. The wealthy politicians in the spotlight, the hideous clown gets top billing, the monster as the headline act. Your horror gets a walk-on part, your morning cries are extras, your fury is the chorus line, your humanity the supporting cast, and justice waits in the wings.